0: You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson.
1: Welcome to Eyes on Isles. It's our second episode. I shouldn't say our because you got yourself or you got Mitch Anderson expert for Eyes on Isles on on the pod and co-expert co-host Matt is out gallivanting up in upstate New York. Thanks for leaving me, buddy. But With me today is, I hope I pronounce this right, is Sean Tierney. Yeah, you got it. Awesome. And so you're from, you write for The Athletic, Toronto, The Athletic, Chicago, and Hockey Graphs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more, give everyone exactly what it is that you do?
0: Yeah, so you sort of hit the big ones. I've been with Hockey Graphs for a couple of years now, sort of writing the odd piece and um, contributing what I can there. And that's a really great group for me, where you know I've had a chance to contribute some of my own thinking along the way, but where I've really learned a lot from the uh, sort of real smart minds that go through that site. And then about a year ago, I hooked up with The Athletic when they were just uh, getting started. They opened a branch in Chicago and I joined there and was writing some articles for them. And uh, anybody who follows Twitter uh, realizes or has seen that The Athletic is sort of expanding at an astronomical rate right now. And so they're opening branches, uh, you know, kind of all over the place. And so I'm not really tied to any one branch. I sort of do some work here and there. Toronto is one. I've done some for uh, The Athletic in Detroit. And going forward, I sort of look at a a league-wide contribution there. So... Uh, And then maybe the biggest thing, um, if anyone sort of recognizes my handle or recognizes my name is uh I do a lot of Viz work and you know, sometimes it's not something that leads to a full blown blown piece from me. So a lot of my charts and sort of my thinking on those things uh travel through people's timelines on Twitter as well. So that's sort of uh, you know, the majority of what I'm up to right now.
1: If if no one knows what your handle is, it's at charting hockey, right? That's right, yeah. All right, so go give that a follow for all those crazy vids. We're going to talk about some today, uh, specifically relating to the New York Islanders. Because over the summer, I've I've seen everything that you've thrown out there for every other team. And I don't necessarily get all of them because I don't follow all the other teams as closely as I do with the Islanders. But whenever I saw that Islanders logo locked in, buddy, I was... Reading all of that. (laughs) So I brought you on today because I wanted to go over, uh, again, talking about the vids that we saw over the summer. You put out a lot of uh, analytics and a lot of... What I want to call it? Just like projected lineups based on expected goals for showing what the optimal lines were. And then you, I think you went further into that just more recently to show what those lineups could yield in terms of a standings come the end of the year. So I brought you on to just kind of say what can we expect from the New York Islanders in 2017, 2018?
0: Yeah. So, okay. Um, I think you touched on two things and I'm glad that you saw them as sort of a, a natural extension of each other. Um, the optimal roster or optimal lineup uh, work that I was doing. Uh, first, I have to say that's all from Ryan Simpson's data. He's at our case, underscore stimp on uh, Twitter and he you know, he's a big name, and if uh, any of your listeners aren't following, he's one of the real bright minds that people are looking to, at really pushing uh, research on new stats and tactics forward. So I'm using all sorts of data from him, and uh, what he's done is gone through uh, a few years of data and looked at how players contribute on the ice, but going way further than just the goals and assists and uh, you know those sorts of stats that people are familiar with. Instead, Simpson's research has a lot to do with um, passing and how players contribute to all those little things that wind up leading to goals that maybe don't get credited in the stat sheet at the end. So that's kind of the background uh, on where this research is coming from. What we know is um, certain playing styles of players, they seem to align better uh, with other styles versus another. So, uh, for example you can group the players that we have in the NHL today into four groups. You can have playmakers, which is kind of your top-notch elite contributors. You're thinking Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, John Tavares. Yep. Um, you, you have your shooters and the name, you know, the names aren't sort of set in stone. They're just kind of to give you a sense of maybe, you know, what we're thinking about. And so shooters, um, you're thinking of maybe a player like Patrick Kane or uh Alex Ovechkin won't shock anyone there either. Um, In the balance player type, you're looking at players that, you know, do a little bit of everything around the ice, but they don't uh, tip the scale enough to be sort of an elite contributor. And then the dependents. And these are players that every roster has. They're players that are just kind of – they're either the pluggers, they're the uh, aggressive four-checkers, they're the diggers on the lines. And so, you know, they're not bringing the play of their line mates up, but you know, they still have a role to play in a, in a team too. It's just, uh, they're not the kind of players that you want to have, you know, throughout the roster. Um, so that's the background. Um, and so to touch on your question, I realize I'm sort of winding my way around here.
1: That's all right. Um, I that's... put
0: it. Okay. <laughs> so I, I put out the Islanders along with every other team. Eventually I, I worked them through and. Um, We know that playmakers play best when they have other playmakers alongside. They tend to dominate the scoring chances on the ice. They tend to be the best. If you can't have that, you want to have playmakers with shooters, balanced player types go well together, and really you want to try to minimize the dependence. So for the Islanders, there's kind of a bit of an, an issue the Islanders' roster doesn't have any shooters on it, as near as we can
1: tell. An issue is putting and, it lightly, from what I'm seeing on that tweet from the expected <laughs> the, the, the team, uh, the, the the potential lineup for next season. There's a lot of red yeah. there.
0: Yeah, and there's a couple of rosters that sort of uh, they look a little bit like what the Islanders have uh, in terms of having a bunch of dependent players clogging up the lineup. The Blackhawks are another interesting one. They have a lot of dependents filling out their bottom six. Uh, this year, um, and the rosters that have those kinds of players, it's just too many diggers and not enough of the sort of star talent you need to expect to score. So, I mean, when you look at the Islanders, they have a top line that I think everyone can be sort of comfortable with. Anytime you have Tavares on the ice, you have an elite guy out there. That's He's right. a playmaker, and that's that's great. Eberle, um, Islanders fans are going to come to love him. He was sort of chased out of, of Edmonton, but it was a little bit undue. The, the guy can still score. He's a good playmaker, and he'll definitely be able to keep up with what Tavares is trying to do on the ice. Uh, and then in the projected lineup, I've got Bailey on their left wing because he's another balanced player type. And those are going to get a lot of pushback
1: on up. that from Islanders fans. Not a lot of yeah, Bailey lovers around.
0: No, and I mean... When we look at this, it's important to look through it, um, you know, as a theory, too. And so, you know, no one is saying, and certainly not what I'm saying, is that these lines should be locked in. There's no room for movement. But the idea is this is a lineup that you should probably try, see what you get. And then if it's not working, maybe you start to shuffle the deck. But to start off, that's a top line that, you know, you expect to have about a 52, just a little over 52 expected goals for percentage. That's pretty good. So that's a lineup that you would expect to be a plus, or a top line that would be a plus over the course of a season.
1: Yeah, I, I, let's walk it back just just a little bit. So you touched on expected goal fours at fifty two point two. Why why are we using expected goals for as essentially the basis of of what you're looking for to maximize in these in these lineups? What, what's yeah, great... what's so great about expected goals for? Yeah,
0: and that's that's a great question. Why do we care about this stat at all? Um, expected goals for, and you can go through and read some stuff by people much smarter than me on on hockey graphs, what we found is that expected goals for is sort of the best predictor we have of future um, scoring. And so when you're trying to sort of look through the, the looking glass and see into the future, lines that tend to shoot from the best places on the ice most often and don't surrender those kinds of great chances themselves while they're out there they have the best expected goals for percentage and so when you have a player with a high expected or xgs percentage um, that's a player who is usually in the offensive zone usually getting shots from good locations and not giving that kind of quality chance up going the other way so that's kind of the you know, the very broad strokes of the the stat.
1: Right, exactly. And and so what you've done here is is you set up the lineups to maximize that expected goal fours, not only based off of the player types, but the chemistries, quote unquote, between said player types. Like you were saying, the, the best expected goal four generally is three playmakers on one line, and then it kind of varies from there. And clearly the Islanders don't have three playmakers, you know, one and then a bunch of other guys after that.
0: Yeah, and that's not uncommon to um, see. We, in the data set that we have from last year's players, there were 60 playmakers, that real sort of top-notch kind of contributor. And so, you know, most lineups you're hoping you have two, and that sort of divvies it out evenly. The Dallas Stars—they have five playmakers, and so we really expect you know good things from them. That's huge. Calgary has four, Um, but the Islanders aren't alone in uh, only having one playmaker on the roster. The problem is when you only have that one guy, you almost need him to play on every line to drag every line up, and and you just can't do that. So you're really shuffling around some you know lesser players, and, and that's not news to Isles fans either. That Tavares is really on his own level, and it's sometimes difficult to find somebody who can really, you know, run at his level on the ice.
1: That's right. Um, but I think like you alluded to earlier, the problem with the Islanders is that there's a lot of red here. So they have Tavares, obviously a playmaker. They have no shooters. Uh, they have three balanced players in Bailey, Eberle, and Sizikis, And then everyone else aside from Barzal Hossein, who are rookies and there's no data to support any sort of player type, uh, are red dependents. So can you walk us through exactly what that means as being a dependent outside of like the obvious where they are role players? What I know you you showed, or Ryan at least had a breakdown of how it came to be defined as a dependent. I know there's like eight or nine variables, but what's the big kind of denominator in, in, in determining what is a dependent over a shooter, over a playmaker, over a balanced player?
0: Yeah, and so uh, to explain it, you kind of have to do it in reverse. These are players who are not making passes to their teammates that lead to a shot. These are players that are not making passes in dangerous areas like near the crease or from behind the net. Um, They're players that aren't getting their own shots off from good locations on the ice. They're players that aren't part of sort of the, the passing chain that brings the puck up the ice, maybe the breakout pass to the forward who carries it into the zone and and sets up the play. If you're a dependent, it means you're not doing any of that relative to the other players on your team. And so, you know, uh, the best way to think of it maybe is you can imagine Cal Clutterbuck. Um, When the team is setting up its offense, no one is hitting Clutterbuck in the defensive zone and asking him to lug it all the way up the ice and see if he can create a dangerous chance.
1: Although he instead, did play on the top line last year.
0: <laughs> right. That maybe should scare us a little bit. Oh, um, but instead you're thinking of Clutterbuck maybe as that missile on the line and you're working the puck up the other side of the ice and his job is when you see the puck, when it's across the line, you get into the corner and you start kicking and digging until you you know, sort of uh, knock it free. But that's not a pass. It's not a shot. Um, it's a play that you could probably ask, you know almost anybody on your roster to make, and they could probably do it too. But Clutterbuck is kind of limited to only that sort of contribution, so uh, I don't that sort of paints the picture of the dependent. Uh, another classic one, I'm not sure, you know, uh, to come onto an Islanders podcast, I'm a little hesitant to do this. Um, but Zach Hyman from the Toronto Maple Leafs, yeah. he's kind of the, he's the prototypical dependent player type. Where his job was to stay out of Austin Matthews and Michael Nealinger's, William Neelinger's way and get into the corners and, you know, jar the puck free and just try not to get in the way of the rest of the time. And so he's the prototypical dependent, not contributing to the play, just shooting up the ice and getting into the rough areas.
1: You didn't bring up a Ranger player, so that's all right. Toronto, anyone else, is uh, no Rangers here. Just Islanders and everyone else to a lower degree is a okay. But that that makes sense, right, that these guys are the role players and they can't do the things that the elite guys can do, so you have them do what they are best at doing. There's nothing wrong with having, like you said at the beginning, dependent players on the roster. You just don't want your roster to be constructed with dependent players. Uh, There's one that, sorry, go ahead. Uh,
0: Sorry, just one thing that's worth noting here, too, is these playing types, they're not fixed. And so Ryan Stimson, when he released the data at first, players were um, in their categories based on the data that was available. And then he released an update in May, and I, I went through and did this manually so that I would see the changes. There were about 50 players or so that switched from one category to another. So you can see a dependent player, Um, move up to become a balanced player you can also see the inverse where a balanced player drops down and becomes a dependent over time and so the islanders it doesn't look good on paper right now but is there a chance that you know maybe anders lee isn't Mm. going to stay a dependent or is there a chance that i mean shane prince we're not going to see him for a little bit but um could shane prince be more when he's healthy and has if he ever got you know sort of a legitimate run in a middle six role, these definitions can change for a player over time as well.
1: That's exactly, you hit the nail right on the head. I wanted to bring up Lee because he's codified as a dependent, but when you score 34 goals, it's hard to just say that, but obviously the data speaks for itself, right? The numbers aren't lying. Uh, He's dependent based off of what he's done so far. And like you said, it can change over time. So if he has another 34 goal season, I would expect that that becomes something a little bit more. Or maybe not, because maybe those goals don't help in that kind of ranking. He might still be dependent because of what everyone else does around him.
0: Right, and so, you know, if shooting percentage is key here. If your shoot, shooting percentage is really high, and so you're really capitalizing on the few chances that you're really taking, you know, your, your playing style classification probably isn't going to change. But Anders Lee is one that really catches my eye, too, as somebody that, if we keep an eye and when we get the next data update on him, he's somebody that I could see moving into a different category. just doesn't, uh, he seems like a fringe case to me, somebody who's ready to be in a different zone. But for now we, we can only work with what, uh, what the history of the, the data shows on him and, you know, it doesn't paint the picture that maybe I expected to see with him specifically, but it can change.
1: Right. So, like, again, the numbers are saying what they are, and until we get different, that's what it is. And it's entirely free to change. Um, I-, I wanted to focus a bit on Barzal and Hossang, because that's that's two players on, on your Islanders second line. And I think 99.9% of Islanders fans will agree that Barzal and Hossang should be on that second line. Uh, obviously, there's no data to support what they are at the NHL level because between the two of them, they've played 23 games at the NHL. Uh, but you said in your tweet that you would assume that they'd be balanced. Why do you why do you say that exactly about the two?
0: And so, with these two, um, I'm not a I'm not a prospect expert, and so all I can do is sort of use what limited data there is and sort of you know make my projections as I can. Um, and like you said, we've got a lot of NHL information about these two players. But the information that we do have, especially about Hosang, sang um, looks pretty promising. And so um, looking through the, the carry-in data that we can get from Corey Schneider, who hand-tracks every single NHL game, as mind-blowing as that is, mm-hmm. um, Ho-Sang is a super strong um, carry-in artist. He brings the puck across the blue line with control. And then he does the really smart thing, the thing that leads to expected goals for, which is he makes a good pass. Um, and so Hosang, I'm pretty bullish on that if he actually gets some time on ice on a quality line with quality line mates next year, um, I think that he's a player that won't be a dependent. He's the kind of person that's showing the passing and the puck sense that's going to put him at least into that balance category. I think Barzal, we're looking at sort of, I'm not sure if the upside is, quite the same, but he's another player that people are very high on. And so when I was plugging um, young players that don't have a playing style into this roster and other ones, I left them blank because you don't want to misrepresent what you're showing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can sort of, uh, and if you're looking at the sidebar, I use their gold above replacement. That's sort of their, yep. you know, one number catch all value for how strong they are. And my projection for Barzell and Hosang is to be at least, um, about the nhl average last year which was in the fours for gar and if they wind up in the fours it's sort of reasonable to assume that these are players that will wind up as balanced types but i wouldn't cap either there especially hosang it wouldn't surprise me if within two years um, he's the kind of player that gets into a category even beyond balanced but for now Uh, We have to just list them as dependents because we don't know. And that hurts the XGF percentage for the second line. That's a major moving target and a variable that could change really fast. And those two players uh, specifically really excite me. If those two are balanced, that line looks much stronger right away, and that improves the team's outlook overall.
1: It's music to all of our ears. But it's reaffirming. It's like confirmation bias. We're hearing exactly what we're thinking. Uh, we, we, we feel the same. And I speak for everyone because clearly they voted me to speak for them. Jose uh, saying just exactly like you said, entering the, uh, that zone, passing the blue line, control of the puck, pass, making that first beautiful pass. And Barzal, it's just, we, we've only seen two games. We've seen what he can do at the junior level, but that's an entirely different game. The, the ceiling is only lower just because our the sample size is a lot less so who knows what's going to happen with him? It, it could very well. Like like you said, everyone is super excited about this kid. We saw him at the juniors. We saw what he can do at the junior level. But when it gets to the big boys, who knows? Um, yeah, and so- that
0: translation is it's impossible to predict. The hope is that um, you know, with the new coaching staff in place and uh, having a full year to get set, that they're going to recognize that these young players need the opportunity to play and show what they've got. And also that they'll recognize that with the players they have throughout the rest of the roster, you're not missing out on much by giving these two a chance in some prime offensive uh, situations. He, like Andrew Ladd, we know what to expect from him at this point. Um, Clutterbuck again, these are players that it's time for them to slot into their roles. And it's, you know, this is the opportunity to find out what the team really has in a couple of these young and promising prospects.
1: Absolutely. Oh, it's I can't wait. I can't wait for the season to start. I'm just I'm reliving that that overtime goal or pass that Hosang made to John Tavares against the Hurricanes just on a constant loop in my mind and I'm just <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so we spoke about the forwards. I know you did the same for the defense across the league. Now I couldn't find it in your tweets today just because you have a million and a half tweets to go through and Twitter is a pain to search through. But can you tell us if there's any issues on the defensive end for the Islanders in terms of playing styles and the, the chemistry between those, those three pairings, I'm going to call them?
0: Well, I, I can tell you that um, your search was fine. <laughs> I, stopped, <laughs> I stopped my work on the defense pairings after doing a few teams um, on purpose. My oh. issue with doing the defense pairings uh, is handedness. And there's a real debate that's sort of bubbling up in the, I don't know, stats-friendly versus the traditional eye test community about how much handedness matters and how much it matters if you um, keep defensemen on the side that they've always played on. Um, I'm of the belief, and this is something that, again, I'm going back to Ryan Stimson. He's said that sort of a future roster isn't going to concern itself quite as much with, making sure handedness matches at the same time we have good research in the past that shows that um players sort of their statistics in general defensemen do play better when they're on the right side so i tweeted out a few team defense pairings, sort of the optimal look at them i tweeted a few out and the response that i got back made me realize immediately i'm going to be in fights with 31 (laughs) teams worth of fans on this um I think that in a general sense, looking at the Islanders, um, there's sort of a couple of hidden gems that um, I'm bullish on. Um, I've always been a big fan of what Thomas Hickey can do, even though he's a little bit underappreciated. He's got some sort of um, some passing skills that are a little bit underappreciated. So he's got a role to play. Um, Then, you know, Calvin DeHaan, obviously um, somebody that, um, is really reliable. Letty and Boychick, I'm not sure, um, with where they're at in this stage of their careers, if we can expect, you know, a huge bounce back from what was kind of a bit of an up and down season for those two last year. But in terms of projecting their XGF with the optimal, uh, pairings, I backed right off of that because of handedness so that I didn't ruffle too many feathers.
1: <laughs> that's, that's fair, right? Why do you hate everyone's team clearly? Cause you, you want everyone <laughs> to fail. Uh, but it, it, it makes sense that being on the left and on the left would be better than on the right and on the right. Although it would also make sense that it doesn't necessarily matter, right? Like the years are professional players with skills and talents that should transcend their handedness. It's really just like a coaching stubbornness to say, no, I want my left guys to play in the left and blah, that's going to stick the way it is.
0: Um, yeah, and it's, it's difficult to be the first coach that really bucks the trend. But uh, <laughs> again, be, because I followed the Leafs so closely last year they're an interesting example of a team that kind of um, at least toyed with it at times or seriously at, at other times um, they were doing something that jack Hahn, another um, athletic contributor and a, a great follow on twitter as well he was talking about total hockey last year the idea that all five guys on the ice their job is to support the puck wherever the puck goes and that positions would be a little bit more fluid than we're used to seeing. Oh, like so the than Dutch this...
1: from the 80s when it comes to football. Right,
0: right, right, yeah. And so you don't imagine, you know, the two defensemen are stuck up at the blue line. You sort of, you pinch down, you get back up to your spot. You pinch down, you get back up. The idea would be that, um, you know, if the puck's on your side, somebody like Jake Gardner for the Leafs um, can go right down into the corner to support the play if that's what's called for. And then the other players on the, say, the right side of the ice would do the rotation over to cover off his spots, And when he's able to come back, you spin the rotation back the other way. And in that case, the handedness of your defenseman stops mattering quite so much because there's a bit of uh, positional fluidity going on. But again, this is the kind of thing that in a sport as traditional as hockey, uh, when you go through the 31 guys that are coaches, they tend to be kind of, you know, risk adverse to doing something that looks really different. And so, you know, it'll be a while before we see that really take hold with a team, but um, you know, I, I do believe that that's sort of the future, It's sort of that next place that a team could exploit their advantage by freeing their players to move around the ice a little more, uh, you know, fluidly.
1: Right, and this is maybe a little bit tangent on that, but I, I've I've seen obviously again on Twitter that you were talking about um, some teams having a four forward one defenseman power play setup, and that kind of. Not necessarily being this total hockey, but in a sense, it's it's bucking the trend of the three three four two defense on the power play, where you're allowing at least one guy to patrol the blue line, but the other four guys to interchange so long as the puck is in their zone of control.
0: Yeah, and that was a a great piece that Matt Kane, again, Hockey Graphs wrote a couple of years ago, um, and he showed that the teams that run a four forward one defenseman power play, they Get more chances they score more goals and um, they do give up a little bit more um, opportunities going back the other way but when you look at it on the whole the gains outweigh the potential risk the, the slight increase in chances going the other way and that teams that really commit themselves to that kind of play wind up having a couple extra almost two full wins extra in a season worth of goals and so You know, that idea of breaking out of that mold and taking advantage of the most skilled players you have on your roster, the reasoning behind it, the math behind it is there. But, um, you know, in some places, it's just it takes time for coaches to, um, you know, really buy into something that's brand new and looks different.
1: I know Doug Waite is a listener, so hopefully he heard that and processes that as he should have done that last year because we missed out on the playoffs by two points. So 4 forward 1-D on that power play, that was 14%, probably could have helped. Um, So I I brought you on today to, we built all of this up to talk about where the Islanders are going to finish the 2017-2018 season. And I've seen two different standings, I'm going to call them, that you put out recently. One based entirely on this expected goals for where you had the Islanders rank (laughs) all the way at the bottom in 31st, like as far down as possible. Um, But then the most recent one that you did, I think on the 26th, you had the Islanders at 96 points and making a playoff spot. So what do you think is the difference in the disparity there? Where where is the dissonance between these two rankings?
0: Yeah, okay, so that's a great question. Um, The XGF percentage ranking that I did that was taking the the forward groups that um, we could optimally build for all the teams and then lining them up to see which teams' uh, forward groups were going to be the best in terms of XGF. And um, the Islanders, as you noted, they, they didn't fare well um, by that measure at no, all. No, not at all. <laughs> My standings projections, um, first, the thing I should get right out in front, is that um, the model that I'm making is a specifically, purposefully simple one, And so you're going to see some other models that come out from some of the other uh, people who do great work, like uh, Micah Blake-McCurdy and um, Don L, another uh, athletic writer, and you know a host of others who do a lot of really great stats work. And um, they're going to have models that are pretty intricate and have a lot of uh, factors building into them. And those are models you should really keep an eye on. Mine is a little simpler, um, not based solely on the xgf um from the forward lines we have um other things coming into play here like age of roster um rest in schedule um the play of defensemen which is left out entirely from the uh, xgf forward ranking so you know i blended these together in a way that um made sense from what i could see digging through uh (laughs) too much math from my own brain um (laughs) And what I can say, the Islanders did fare really well in my standings projections, and it surprised me that, you know, they're, I have them at 96 points. That's the same as the Bruins, very close to the St. Louis Blues. I think after, you know, the past couple of seasons for the Islanders, this is a level that most fans would probably be pretty satisfied with if the team actually got there.
1: Yeah, and the reason I would that, say so.
0: Right. <laughs> and so the reason that the Islanders rank so high is, What I've been able to see from the model I've built um, is that it really favors um, teams that are offensive, and my projections for Barzell and for uh, Hosang are built into this as being um, at least consistent uh, factors for the roster this year. If that happens to be the case, it wouldn't surprise me to see them in that mid-90s, low-90s points range, and if that's the case, they are going to be battling for a, a playoff spot in the East, which you know, it's something that it's not like that was miles and miles away last year either. So, you know, I, I feel comfortable with it. Um, but again, there's a lot hinging or a lot riding on the play of, you know, those two young guys. If, if they make a big impact next year, yeah, this is a team that can hang around the bottom of the playoff picture. And if, you know, Hosang gets sent home on the first day or something. <laughs> <it> <laughs> sleeps things through really the quickly. alarm.
1: I'm <laughs> um, so I- to to me, when I look at it, and I, I thought immediately, like ninety six points makes sense. And then I look at this forward roster or the lineup that you have, and it's not much different than last year. Sure enough, Barzal and Hosang are on there, but Hosang played twenty one games last season. And really, when you think of the Islanders' roster, the only thing that happened is they switched Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom. Which, when when both are at peak performance, you're getting, based off what we've seen so far, is fifty points from Ryan Strom and seventy six from Jordan Eberle. And that's without McDavid. It's years before McDavid even made the NHL. So they're, they're, at both peak, there's 25 points extra the Islanders have added without considering Barzal and Hosang in the lineup. Like, 96 points should be, should be the bare minimum. And I, I see them, again, as a 100-point team, but that's obviously, like, I'm not making any crazy math, and this is me just spewing it out as a fanboy. Uh, but based off of your model, like, I understand it. it's simple. And is that really the only fallout that you have from it is that it is maybe too simple and it's not factoring in too many things.
0: Yeah. It's definitely meant to be something that when I write a, a blog post to explain it, it's something that um, is easy to get into. Um, my I'm not a, a stats background initially either. My stats education has come through uh, my hockey research too. And so, when I write this up, I want it to be something that people can look at and say, "Okay, I see why this happened. Okay, I totally don't agree with that part of it," um, and something that people can, you know, engage with without needing a pure math degree to to get involved. So, you know, uh, there are shortcomings anytime you keep something simple, but I like the beauty of something that's sort of easy to get into a, a discussion with and say, "Here's where I think maybe this all short," or "Here's where I think this really makes a lot of sense." And, and just to touch on one thing you noted on, on the side there, that Eberle for Strom thing is, is just wonderful. I think Eberle, again, he's somebody who got run out of town a bit in Edmonton, as Chiarelli is wont to do with his, you know, sort of young, talented offensive stars at times. But uh, that's a that's a big win for the Islanders. Eberly is the kind of player who can be around a 70-point range, and Strom just hasn't shown that that's, you know, the upside that he really has at the NHL level. I think Islanders fans, you know, if you're patient, that's the kind of uh, deal that you're really going to love as the season goes on. Everly can be a big offensive player who can really run with Tavares, and, and that's important. In a, in a way that I don't think Strom was ever going to be able to do.
1: No, and I think I think the ceiling for Strom wasn't necessarily to be a Tavares winger, but it was to be in that that second-line center role, something that still to this day the Islanders don't necessarily have. The hope is that Barzal can f- fill in, but... We had that similar hope last season when Nielsen sure. left in free agency, and Gar Snow went. Well, we'll just put uh, Ryan Strome in there, and we'll be a okay. And that did not work at all. Right. So we have the same fears and anxiety as last season, as we don't have a second line center. And, and And you know, pray to God, hopefully Matt Duchesne works out. But I've 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 lost faith in in that necessarily happening. But I I still hold a sliver of hope that something yeah, can and be I think, done. Uh,
0: that's um that's a player that's been traded to 15 teams over this <laughs> off season already, and you know it would he would shore up a a hole for sure. You always worry about what it is that the abs are going to be able to uh, extract coming back, but if you can add a, a player like him, that definitely solves some issues in the middle for for the Islanders.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um. Okay, so I, I think I think we got an understanding, and I definitely. I like your approach of keeping it simple and digestible for people without like a, a hardcore stats background. I can understand this and I know most of our fans can understand it. And I, I follow Mika on, on, on Twitter and I have a hard time sometimes with the graphs and it's just, and, I, and I've studied at least basic statistics and I still have a hard time. It's uh, it's definitely appreciated.
0: Well, and, and again, I think, um, you know, there's all sorts of, different roles for people to carve out. Maybe I'm that fourth line uh, grinder <laughs> who can get into the corners and, and make the simple play. And, and Mike is one of those guys who, you know, he's got the real um, big understandings in the game and, and his stuff is really worth pouring over because he comes up with some, you know, original, creative, uh, true findings. And, you know, it, it just takes uh, like you said, it, it takes a little more um, effort sometimes to read through and really get where he's coming from. But yeah, he's one of the, the all-time greats around there for sure.
1: Yeah. Once you get through it and you can, you can say, I actually understood that. Oh my God. Right you, put a, you put a star on your shirt and you walk around with your head held high for a week at least. <laughs> um, okay. So is there anything else that you're working on? I, th- I think we've got a good picture where the Islanders are going to end up based off of, uh, off of your models, The 96 point, maybe a little lower, maybe a little bit higher um, which is, I think, ex- where we expect him to be. But is there anything else you're working on after this This expected goals for or, or season projections?
0: Well, I think um, I'm really ready for the season to get going so we oh, have amen. some new stuff to start to dig into. Um, I'm really closely following what Corey Schneider is doing, hand-tracking all the games from last season. He's still filling in the zone entries and the defense and zone exit stuff. Um and so I'm keeping my graphs on on that data updated. I'm really interested to see what the full season numbers look like once he gets finished there. But, you know, other than that, I'm I'm really excited to get back into some uh real hockey and get some new information flowing again and see how some of these new uh rosters and new lineup combinations work out. So yeah, I'm in that phase where you know I'm sort of itching to to get going <laughs> in October again.
1: Oh yeah. Is that October yet? Hashtag is everywhere and I, I can't wait. Um, for me, the storyline this season is just can Eberle match what we expect him to match, at least from an Islanders perspective. And then from a, just a league wide perspective is this, can these rookies that took hold of the league last year, can they do the same thing again? Can we have McDavid, Matthews, Marner, Lion do and repeat what they've done and maybe even improve? Oh my God, if they can all improve, that's terrible for everyone else. But that would be amazing just from selling the game perspective.
0: Yeah, and and the game is getting younger and there's, you know, young, exciting talent uh, across the league in different places. And, you know, the names you you dropped here, I think, you know, sky's the limit. Expect more and bigger from, you know, those names across the board. And I don't know if we'll see it from like the Nolan Patrick types that are going to maybe get their crack in the NHL this year. But last year's big names, you know, you're excited, like you said, to see what they can do this year.
1: Oh, how big is how big of a chip does Nolan Patrick have on his shoulders this year after taking second? He was like the number one guy all year, and then the day before, we're not really sure. And then, boom! I just hope
0: the chip on his shoulder isn't so big that it injures his shoulder. (laughs) The way that guy's
1: gone, oh, that's perfect. Um, Do you have anything you want to plug before I let you go, and you can carry on doing your important work, and I can just continue my basement blogging. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, the only thing i would say is uh keep uh keep your eyes on the rit hack which is the rochester hockey analytics conference that's coming up uh in october and ryan Stimson's um advertising and if you know if people are able to get to rochester when that's happening that'd be a great chance to come and hear some uh fresh talks on hockey and what people are researching right now and I'll live tweet that um, as I usually do so that you can sort of keep up on the presentations that day. And that's coming up in October too. So just another thing, uh, you know, as we're looking forward uh, for a few weeks into the future.
1: That's amazing. I can't wait. I don't think I'll be able to get there, but I'll I'll do my best. And if not, I'll follow along on Twitter with you. Beautiful. Uh, Well, Thanks for coming on, Sean. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it. And I hope you get a bunch more follows after this.
0: Well, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun to do.
1: Oh, you're welcome, man. We'll catch you later. All right, take care. Take care. That was Sean Tierney at Charting Hockey on Twitter, uh, writer for The Athletic TO, The Athletic Chicago. I know it's not New York, but they don't have one yet. Get on that, The Athletic. Uh, He writes for uh, Hockey Graphs. Great stats follow on Twitter. Make sure to follow him. Uh, Make sure to. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. We can use all of the reviews to get a bump on iTunes. Uh, make sure to listen to the show on Blog Talk Radio or wherever else you can get your podcast. And definitely make sure to check out the website, eyesonisles.com. Uh, if you're already not on there every day, we have fresh content all day long, we have a daily post every morning for you to catch up what happened yesterday so you don't have to rely on Google, even though if you do, all our stuff is there, anyways. Uh, and we keep you up to date on all Islanders news, editorials, analysis, whatever you want. As long as it's Islanders, we've got you covered. So this is Mitch signing off, and next week it should be both myself and Matt, so long as you didn't get lost in upstate New York. Take it easy, everyone.